You're listening to Behind the Note Podcast, brought to you by a musician for musicians. Here, you will get advice toward a successful music career. This show is made to educate, inspire, motivate, and empower. Now, here is your host, Chris Davis. Hello, welcome to this episode of Behind the Note Podcast, episode number 53. It's the holiday season. Thanksgiving just passed, and Christmas is coming up. It's a great time of year. I personally love it. I love the weather. A lot of people don't like the cold. I don't like the cold so much, but I love the breeze. Anyway, I'm happy to be here with you today. Thank you so much for pressing play. I have a great guest for you once again. Now, on this show, we've been privileged to have very well-known artists, international artists. We recently had Chris Bodie. You heard that. John Clayton. Last year, we had Terrell Stafford on the show. And all of those were very well-received episodes. You downloaded those. You listened to those many times. But I also like bringing local artists to you. And for you who listen to the show who are not from the Chicago area like I am, it makes me that much more happy to present these people to you that you probably would not know otherwise. Today, we're going to have a great saxophone player a local saxophone player from the Chicago area. And this is somebody who's been on the scene for a couple of decades, knows his way around, and he does some things very well, which is why I want to talk to him about what he does well, get some pointers from him. He's really got a handle on advertising, uh, email marketing. He has had the same band for a number of years. I'm not sure exactly how many years. But I know as a band leader myself how challenging that can be. So when I see a person keep the same band year in and year out, I consider that a major accomplishment. That's something that our guest today has been able to do. And he's just a great guy. I recently got to know him in in the last year from working with him. And before we even met in person one year ago, we had a telephone conversation one time. I, I called him up out of the blue. He didn't know who I was. Don't even remember how I got his number. But I'm just a young guy at the time, still am, <laughs> and just said, hey, I noticed that you're doing certain things. I'm trying to do some of those same things. Will you mind helping me out, giving me some pointers, letting me know what I can do to to get better in these areas? We've never met at that point. And he talked to me on the phone for about one hour. And what he, what he poured into me that day really helped me to get to where I am now. So I'm very thankful for him. And I'm happy to be able to present to you right now today, saxophonist, Chicago-based saxophonist, Mr. Chris Green. Hey, Chris, welcome to the show. We're glad to have you today. No problem. I'm glad to be here. Thank, I've been looking forward to this all week. So we want to get to know you a little better. I just introduced you. But uh, tell us what you do when you're not performing music. What do you like to do? Okay, well, uh, pretty much I spend most of the day uh, wrangling my four-year-old around. Uh, I, I, I don't like the term uh, stay-at-home dad, but I, like I said, I, I've got the day shift pretty much with him, uh, which pretty much means that, uh, you know, if I'm when I'm not playing during the day or you know, at least practicing, I'm running him to his you know, various camps or schools or 
play places or appointments or parks or whatever. So that's that's pretty much what I do during the day. And then if I have to play somewhere, the missus takes over at night and it works out pretty well. Tell us, how did you get into performing in the beginning and then kind of quickly take us to when you when you decided to go pro? Okay. I started playing the saxophone at 10 years old. And it was always something that I liked to do. Played a little bit of sports in high school, but I'd always preferred playing saxophone just because I didn't like to be hit as much as I, as much as football players seem to get hit. So I didn't like that. I didn't like that at all. And there was a weird period of overlap where, uh, like I said, my freshman and sophomore year, where we would play we would play our football games, and then I would change into my marching band outfit and get to the bit back to the stadium in just enough time to play the halftime show for for the varsity team. So eventually I had to make that choice, you know, and it just eventually I I got more serious about playing anyway. My peers as well, my band teachers appreciated just that, like he's just, even though he does, he has no idea what he's doing. He's just going to dive right in. And some people could probably say that I still have that same approach when I play. I just like, I may not necessarily know what's going on, but I'm going to dive in and make the best of a situation around me at that same time. Um, so my band directors were really on me to like, you know, start taking theory and learning the science behind playing music and just, you know, just knowing what's going on behind the notes on the page. And so once I started taking theory classes at school, everything kind of clicked and I was like, OK, this is something that I think I can do. So uh, got really super pretty serious about like my listening and everything else, listening to jazz a little bit more because primarily I was pretty much into the pop music of the day and you know prince and public enemy and i you know and i still am but it was it was something else to add to what i was doing so pretty much i got a little more serious about listening to coltrane and miles and everything and everything else and uh and then pretty much from there i, I went to uh, indiana university to study with uh, the great david baker and so i owe, i owe him a lot uh just his concepts and approach to improvisation to for setting me on the right path but i also owe a guy a few pe- other people there was a guy by the name of dominic spira who was a trumpet player and professor there he was also the uh, jazz arranging director so i got a, t- a chance to take some cool classes with him uh there was a guy by the name of eugene rousseau who was kind of like the, the man as far as classical saxophone playing goes and even though i'm i'm, I'm not a classical saxophone player by any means i had to play some of that for my recitals and my juries and that, that kind of thing uh and just having some master classes with him it just corrected a lot of like bad technical habits that i have that i had in high school and and, and, and junior high but a guy the guy that i really owe is a guy by the name of tom walsh who's still there now he's the J, he's the saxophone professor there now who uh pretty much was i was able to distill a lot of the information from dr russo and dr david baker and just kind of like really start to get really just got um disciplined as far as like uh tackling problems and technical tackling technical problems that i had so i was there uh finished up there and pretty much hit the ground running as far as like uh you know trying to lead my own bands as as well as like playing with whoever would call me uh so i got i got a chance to play in a lot of at least at the beginning when i when i left school in about around 94 i and returned to chicago i pretty much had a chance to play in a lot of clubs you know i just got a chance to play in front of all different kinds of audiences while you know still practicing and working on my own craft and everything so and so it pretty much led me to like uh uh eventually playing with people as diverse as like the temptations uh common Edmata. Now, I want to follow that trail 
let's find okay. to find out how that unfolded for you. Okay. So when you first came out of school, did you first of all did you get a day gig? Actually, I had I had quite a few day gigs. I don't want to say I got fired from most from all of them. Let's say I got fired from half of them. Uh, <laughs> right on. But I'm I'm kidding. I mean, you know, it, it's weird. Like actually, I, I'm kidding. But I actually had I had a few day gigs. All any anything from like shoe sales to delivering flowers to take. I mean, something where I, at the very least, if I if I couldn't learn a skill that that couldn't enhance uh, something that I was doing over here with music, then at least something that wouldn't be too much of a distraction. Most of us don't really think of what we do as as running a business. But unfortunately, you kind of have to, I mean, just to kind of survive and just to kind of like get certain goals attained or whatever. Just so even just like working in an office where they send out emails uh, about, you know, what we're supposed to get accomplished this week. It's just like, okay, these are things that I can take to my own situation with my own band instead of like making a bunch of calls or sending sending a bunch of random texts or whatever, like and trying to coordinate a a rehearsal or schedule or a gig or, or coordinate a gig. I can actually like send out an email two, three months early and say, Hey guys, what are your open weekends here? And I'll try to plug these in, you know? So, so, so you're not always scrambling and just so everyone's on the same page. So it's, so it, it works out where the J, the day jobs that I, that I had were either like not too distracting or something that I could actually learn from. And so that, that at least, uh, you know, I, I was lucky in that respect. So were you getting fired because you were just dissing work and going to gigs? Is, is that happening with you? No, oh, okay. I, I, I mean, I, I'm half kidding. I, I would say, I, I would say, I, 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 I probably got fired from maybe like two or three. But and that that was probably not even being unprofessional, or whatever like that. It was. I think a lot of times that they they must have just known, you know, you that my, more about music that my heart was elsewhere, and yeah. you know, or, and it wasn't even like you know, you you suck, get out of here. It was just like you know what, we appreciate everything you're doing here, but maybe you need to you know make it happen so you know that's a great sign and a great lesson to learn uh, i think that's a good example of somebody being out of place and and you were really following your calling to perform music or do b- music related business and the people in your work environment noticed that you didn't fit in so they kind of helped you out by just letting you go so that you were able to just go all in with your music yeah i mean and, and again and again this i mean i'm again i was halfway kidding but like yeah. This actually it only ha- it only really happened a, a, that only really happened a couple times, but I mean I knew overall you know that I want this is what I wanted to be doing uh, playing music or performing writing whatever this is all what I wanted to be doing. So I want to follow the trail. Now you mentioned p- performing with Common and some other great musicians, and I want you to think about this. Uh, if you can pinpoint that, if you can pinpoint that to one person or one uh, gig that opened up that door for you tell us about that yeah it's okay you can think about it for a second that's a good question you know that's funny um it's never really been uh at least for me it's never really been about one gig uh or like one one big break well let me tell you something guys everybody listening i uh I, i talked to chris green for the first time on the phone Actually, I don't even remember how I got your phone number. But at the time, I was basically just starting out. I've been playing music all my life, but I really wasn't on the scene as a band leader. And I saw Chris everywhere. And I said, let me call this guy and get some pointers. 
And we talked on the phone for about an hour. We were strangers at that point. But that conversation led to me performing two years at the M Lounge. I took I took the pointers you gave me, applied it. It led to me performing two years at the M Lounge. And of course, I became a better trumpet player in, in those two years because I was there every month for two years, uh, sometimes more than once a month. And and I met people, as you were saying, uh, which led to many other performances, headlining uh, local festivals and things like that. And I believe during those two years, I developed the chops required to play in Chicago Jazz Philharmonic, for example. So I, I actually, <laughs> I might actually owe you a lot <laughs> when I think about things like that. I mean, and this is only part of, of the picture in my life, for example. But, but that was definitely a pivotal conversation, for example. So I was looking for, for something like that. Okay. Um, so I, I, I used to work in this video store, actually, in Evanston. It was Neyland's video in the mid-90s. And I get into a conversation with one of the other guys there. He finds out I'm, I'm a musician. I find out he's a musician. He's a guitar player. We're sitting there kind of like checking each other out, like, you know, what, what do you what do you listen to? What do you listen to? Well, I listen to that. I listen to that. You know, OK. Yeah, we're just kind of like, you know, eyeballing each other, checking this out. And it's like, well, you know, he's like, well, who are your favorite saxophone players? And I named off a list and then I named off uh, as really, really big in, into Maceo Park at the time. He because he just he just dropped this like these three like really great albums, um, uh, Roots Revisited, Mole Roots. And then my one of my favorite albums of all time, Life on Planet Groove. And so I was like, yeah, one of my favorite albums is Life on Planet Groove. And he's like, oh, my God, that's mine, too. We ended up bonding right away and becoming really, really good friends. So that's the guy who I met like um, like 20 some years ago at this video show. We worked together. So what's funny is we played together a lot. I ended up on a double bill with a band featuring Clyde Davis, the drummer. Me and Clyde hit it off. And then we kind of got in each other's orbit. And he actually recommended me for a lot of a lot of other gigs. Uh, one of which was this uh, Dave Matthews cover band that I played with for six years. Through that band, I actually met my wife. It's weird. So I kind of owe Colby a lot from that conversation in the video store because in a weird way, I certainly wouldn't be married now. So, But I also wouldn't have some of the associations that I have because I've met a lot of, through, a lot of people through Clyde Davis. Right. Butterfly effect. So what lessons did you learn from your day gigs that you directly apply to being a band leader? Dis discipline, like with anything, if you get in the habit of doing something every day, professional demeanor, just, you know, just professional attitude, like those are those are kinds of things that can help you in just about in just about any setting. I came of age musically about the same time as like the early days of the internet and like the early days of like you know email is you know so just getting used to a different way of communicating with people i'd say dis i'd say discipline and and just getting used to technology and that kind of thing those, those kind of things are things that that carried over into to my and in, into playing music or at least the 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 business of running my band or, or communicating with other musicians. How long has your band been together in its current form? In its current form for 10 years. And we've only had to make, we've only made one personnel change. That was uh, the drummer. Uh, my guy, Steve, Steve Corley, he came, he came on uh, in 2011. 
So, but that's the first, first and only personnel change that we've that we've ever made. So, really quick, talk about how to choose a band. What was your process when you chose your musicians? What were you looking for? I was looking for some people that could obviously have the tradition in mind. It's also it's it's important to remember that it's not it's not 1945. It's not 1955. It's not 1970. It's 2015. And as much as, you know, we revere Miles and Coltrane and Monk and as important as it is to study all those guys and learn from them and transcribe and analyze and argue about them and all that stuff. At the end of the day, it's 2015. So I need guys that are I prefer in my band to play with guys that if we're, if we're playing a swing song and I want to do something funky or something Brazilian, the next song I almost need guys to be in that mindset where we can literally go right to the next thing. And it's like, you know, as opposed to like, well, wait a minute, can we, I have to give me a second. I have to think about this Brazilian pattern or something like, you know, so. <laughs> yes. I, I think like, I understand what you're, what you're getting at though. So you, first of all, you want the music to be authentic. That's it, the word. Yes. When, you, when you're changing styles, you still want that style to be authentic and you want uh, simply skilled musicians that can pull that off. Right. And also, you want people that have a friendly, I guess, a, a friendly character. Yes. Who, yes. who are I, respectful also to yeah. to the other band members and to the music. Exactly. All right. You've been together for 10 years and you've taken some thought into uh, the band members that you have right now. I want to get a quick story about what you think one of your weaknesses are as a band leader or... Or a time that you like just bombed, <laughs> and then uh, what you learned from that, from that experience, and then we'll flip it and talk about the strengths after that. I think in my in my ver- in my earlier days of leading bands, I think I might I, I might have been a little more on the on the micromanaging side. Like I want you to play this exactly like this, or or play like that, or 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 whatever. And I think I've gone a little bit more over to like the like the Duke Ellington slash miles davis you know duke ellington school where it's like you know here's the overall shape or, or here's 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 what i wrote make this melody yours or make this make make this yours or you know or the, even like the miles even like a little more of a uh miles davis school which is like you know find your own place in the music or whatever you bring your own so somewhere somewhere between those two Weaknesses. I mean, there's 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 always things that I could do better. There's all there's. I well, mean, you I gave guess... us two good ones. That was that was perfect. So, how many recordings have, have you recorded as a band leader? I know it's quite a quite a lot. Five uh, official CDs, and then two kind of like freebie bootleg giveaways. Uh, we've done Soul and Science Volume One, Soul and Science Two, Merge, a group effort, and our most recent one is called. Um, Music Appreciation, we released that one last year. And then we've got a couple of freebie download things that we recorded. Like We recorded at places um, with like... At the, the first one was recorded like on a... I want to say one of those um, Zoom recorders. And then the second one was a board recording that, that we wouldn't necessarily try to sell, but it, it came out well enough that, you know, kind of gives people an idea of what we sound like live. So we've got a couple of give So all, all together, seven, seven releases. Now, what is your process now at this point as far as making sure after your music is recorded that the people know that you have something for them to hear? Well, I, I'd say that that's the, 
beauty of social media uh, that and, and again I'm, I'm happy that uh, I, you know we're, we're in a unique time where you can literally let people know when you're recording you can take pictures from your phone of yourself in this in your band in the studio and upload them to Facebook so you know just that instantaneous I mean before you you know you could take the pictures and then go home and upload them now you can actually like do that kind of stuff from the studio really for me it's just communication with 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 your with potential fans and interested parties so you go from communicating that we're working on a project and meanwhile they're getting excited because they see these pictures but they can't hear anything yet and then so they're anticipating the release and right and then you'll say hey my release date is and then whatever the date is exactly and, and so then you finally have something to sell. What do you do next? You can you can do a couple of things. Like well, one of the things I did not for this past album, but for the previous album, uh, we did a live recording. We had a Kickstarter campaign because this is one that I, I, I really felt really good about the re- recording, and I wanted to really wanted to. I think this was a chance to really get uh, people involved or pe- people really into it and give your fan base a little boost by just letting them know what you're up to. So we recorded a live album, but we also filmed it. So we did things like if you contribute this much, you get a free MP3. If you, if you contribute this much, you get the digital album. People, I think want to get into your music, especially if they like you and like what you're doing, but they also, people also like being fans of stuff. And and I think, I think anything you can do to kind of like make your whole thing a little more special people a little more apt to follow you around everywhere okay so you have that communication with your audience and that's really key now you're really good with getting reviews from the media i see quotes from downbeat and jazz times and other media what's your process to make that happen a couple things i've uh i've actually i've had a couple of really good press agents work for me people whose whose job it is to you know people who've actually again I'm talking relationships people who already had previous relationships with like you know jazz times downbeat the, the bigger jazz magazines as well as like other independent blogs they've managed to get me a lot of write-ups and, and love from those kind of kinds of things a lot of people who actually write for downbeat are actually people that i've actually been on gigs with actually uh, and it's important to try to do as much as you can to promote your own stuff. But eventually, you know, I, I think it's also important if, if somebody can do something that you can't do or can do a little, do it a little better than you, it's, it's nothing wrong with like delegating or finding somebody like I can send envelopes and stuff all day. But then if you, if you can find somebody that has a, has a rapport with these people and already has a relationship with the, these major magazines, then you, you'll probably look even a little more official going through them. Now let's, uh, in this interview by talking about email list, uh, how do you uh, get people excited about signing up for your email list? How have you grown it to where it is today? I, um, the thing for me is just to mention it. I mean, all the stuff that I do, a lot of stuff that I do uh, business wise and, and promotion wise is stuff that most band leaders just don't want to think about because we're so focused on getting better and playing right and everything. And all that's super important. You know, your, your mailing list is, is in, a, in a lot of ways is your lifeblood. And, and in a lot of ways is your, is your trump card for getting gigs. Because at the end of the day, and like we, like we said in, the, in that conversation we had, 
Uh, and let me just interrupt because people don't know, but uh, Chris and I had a side conversation. We had a gig together. And uh, after the night was over, we started talking about email list. And I asked him, how many people does he have on the list? It was approximately a thousand. So we had a, we had a previous conversation is all I yeah. wanted people to know. It's not something we talked about today on the show. We forget, again, that much as we need these places to play and, and much as we need these places to express ourselves, they want to make sure that they're going to have people there eating their food and drinking, drinking drinks. Uh, so they want to know how many people, how many butts will you have in my seats or, or, or can you keep the people who are eating and drinking at my establishment? Can you keep them there and not, not, will they not hear your music and run out in a mad stampede? So how do you do it? You just mention it. You just uh, you say, hey, you know, I've got CDs for sale. I've also got a mailing list. If you you know, I, I, my my standard joke when I tell you know again making them feel comfortable. My standard joke I always say that if you like what you're hearing, please sign our mailing list. If you don't like what you're hearing, sign it anyway, and that way you'll know where we're playing and you can avoid <laughs> any awkward confrontations. That's good. Uh, and, and, and so usually they get some laughing and they're like, oh, I really like what you're doing. And I'm with my yeah. CD. And then, you know, they'll sign and, you know, and, and, and it just and hopefully those will be the people that bring, you know, five, ten more people to see you the next time. And is that what you do? Do you email once or twice a month? Is that your frequency? I usually try to do it at the beginning of the month. I try to. Again, this is one of those skills that I picked up from various day jobs is trying to like I set aside some time to get one of those uh, e- one of those uh, email list template program whatever things and just uh, type up you know my schedule or type or type up the, the band the band schedule where we're playing time place location any any transportation is it near any L stops uh, are there any drink specials is there valet parking you know all, all that stuff that regular people really really care about because you're making, you know, because people, you forget people have wives and girlfriends and boyfriends and and husbands and you know, children. baby children and babysitting concerns and you know, and they want to see you. But if you if you if you communicate with them and give them enough time via your email list, they'll make the time to to come see you, or you know, they'll they'll, they'll make the, they'll make the necessary adjustments in their life. If you respect them, they'll make the adjustment. In, in in their schedule to 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 make a point to come see you. And I also want to point out that you have a way of electronically collecting email, um, because I know I I personally signed up online, uh, but not on a live show. So I know that you uh, at least you used to give away music as yes. an incentive for people to sign. Yes, as well. But uh, yeah, if you sign up on the mailing list or sign up through our website, you'll actually get like a, a couple of, of free songs. Again, songs that weren't didn't necessarily make it on any album that are, you know, that you can, you know. And again, it's just another one of those things to make make uh, any any interested parties feel special, you know. Very well stated. We're going to stop right there. It's been great having you on the show today, Chris. Thanks for joining us. No problem. Had a great time. Thank you, Chris. And thank you for Sticking around to the end of the episode, this is episode number 53. And as usual, I like to do a recap of the show. I want to point out two main things, although we talked about more than that. But number one is that Chris continuously builds on his email list. And he's been working on this for years, and he still does it today. Remember, the people on your email list are your biggest supporters. They're the people that are going to tell their friends about you. They're going to be your biggest spokespeople. And that's... That's, that holds a lot of weight. 
it's it holds more weight than you telling people with your own mouth how good you are it, it's it's better for other people to talk about how good you are so go ahead and build that email list keep communication open with the people who want to support you second thing is this chris has done a good job of hiring professionals to do the marketing for him and that's something that we all need to do when when possible if you if you believe you're at that level then go ahead and pull the trigger don't don't hold back on that because this allows chris to go ahead and perform music rehearse his band and write music do the, the musician task that he needs to do to be successful so that's all for now go ahead to behindthenote.com today i'm going to ask you to leave a voicemail if you have a question or or a compliment leave a voicemail at behindthenote.com it's been my desire to have a question and the answer episode so go ahead and leave your question there i'll play it on the air i'll see you next time god bless you